but they are trying very hard with confusion and deception about what a Christian believes, what the word of God says, and how the church corporately and us as individuals should interact with people. In this episode of the Church and State Show, I'm going to sit down with a man who is speaking frankly and brutally honestly from the perspective of someone who has walked from sexual confusion and gender confusion, even a militant activist in those areas, to now preaching the gospel and being restored to everything that is healthy and happy and powerful about the way that God made him. I'm sitting down with James Parker coming up in just a second. I'm Dave Pello, and this is The Church and State Show. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Welcome to the Church and State Show. And in this episode, I'm going to be sitting down and having a very real and raw and honest conversation that definitely would be cancelled on the big tech platforms. Uh, so thank you very much to ADH TV for sharing this, as well as the good source, which is producing this. Now, before we sit down with James, I just want to let you know that uh, he's one of the speakers coming up in the uh, month of August at the Church and State Perth Conference. We're going to be going there. That's going to be a lot of uh, interesting, engaging speakers. The whole point is to arm Christians to influence culture. As I said, the darkness cannot extinguish the light, but we can silence ourselves. Let's not do that. So the Church and State Conference is all about arming Christians to influence culture. We're talking about loving our neighbours, being salt and light as Jesus commanded. Very biblical, very orthodox Christian thing to do. But it's my pleasure right now to welcome James Parker to the Church and State Show. James, welcome. Thank you very much indeed. Great to be here with you today, Dave. Now, just in brief, uh, people can hear your testimony uh, in a lot more fullness at the Church and State Conference Perth on 4th or 5th of August. But please, for those people who've never met you before, never heard your story, give us the introduction to who you are and the background from which you now speak so authoritatively on these issues. Well, my uh, basically, I grew up absolutely 100% believing that I was born gay. In fact, I've often said that I was 110% same-sex attracted. That's how same-sex attracted I was. Um, I was the first guy to come out in my Christian high school, and I was the first guy to come out in my section of the university in London. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. This is only, we're talking 35, 40 years ago now, not even 40 years ago. Um, uh, but what happened is I threw myself very, very much into gay activism. I believe that I was a woman trapped in a man's body. But of course, wow. in those days, no gender ideology. There was nothing talked about this. It was just, a, a, in a sense, a painful emotional and mental state that I was in. Uh, and because there were no other options, you kind of got on with it. So even though I, I wore my makeup and, and sometimes, you know, uh, 
put on women's clothing and the like, uh, for, the, for, the, for the most part, I only had the title of gay to live my life under. And I very much lived my life under that title. Um, I was um, very much part of the gay community and uh, establishing gay groups. Um, and then what happened is um, a guy asked me one day, he said, do you want more love in your life? A very simple question that I think every human being would say, well, yes, of course I want more love in my life. Um, every single pop song in somewhere there's about it, TV programs, the soapies are all about it. I wanted more love. And he invited me just to go and hang out with a few young Christians. Now, I was out and very, very proud. It was obvious in all my conversation, my voice, my walk, my mannerisms, everything reeked um, the whole thing of, the, of being gay. And I was welcomed in the midst of these young Christians. And basically their focus wasn't on me. Their focus was on the source of all love, God himself. And they basically drew me into a, um, a place. I say they drew me into a place. I willingly was open to wanting to taste of what they were also experiencing. And this was a living God. And mm. I came to a point where I basically said to God, if you're real, I want a taste of your love. And if anything gets in the way of that love, remove it. It was a very simple prayer, but in some way it was a prayer of repentance. I was saying, remove anything that stops you from being able to love me. And all I can say is this is, it took me on the most incredible journey imaginable. First of all, it began to bring about a deep sense of peace within me. It then um, had such a ripple effect on my long-term boyfriend at the time. He said, I want a slice of what you got. Something's changing about like it and he turned around and he also was welcomed in by this group of young Christians so there we were this gay couple um, being welcomed into the church the very heart of the church and others just wanting us just to find God's love nobody was dictating. how old were you at this time I was in my early 20s at this time wow so very much young man um, and my boyfriend was much older than me. he was 10 years older um, he was very much kind of the daddy figure in the in the relationship um, and, and but what happened is then we both began to grow with God and we were welcomed and welcomed and welcomed and loved and right. loved and loved. So all this bigotry in the church, I'm like, well, where is it? I haven't I haven't seen that. You know, I've never walked into a church as uh, as a gay man or uh, where I am today. And somebody say, what's your sexual preference? Uh, you know, as a sort of um, permission to enter kind of thing. Long and short of it is this is is I came to realization as I walked in my relationship with Jesus I began to see that my boyfriend was trying to find something in me and in our relationship. And I was trying to find something in him and neither of us could give it to each other. Put mm. very simply, for both of us, men or our own sex was still a mystery to some extent. And we were still trying to demystify manhood. Now, I ended up finishing the relationship. And then that took me on an incredible prayerful spiritual call it what you want journey with god but also can i interrupt you um sorry to interrupt your story but i just want to uh, uh, i guess get some points of clarification about that part of your story those christians that welcomed you and didn't demonstrate any kind of bigotry or antipathy towards you at all what was their political disposition like were they what uh, i guess many evangelical christians today would find a little bit contemptuous and, and those uh, leftist uh, pride flag waving um, compromised doctrinally Christians or were those 
the kind of Christians who would be very orthodox, very authentic, and would have probably the, the, voted against the undefinition of marriage. The, these are these are very much the orthodox definition of Christians. These people had a very strong moral framework, but the difference was this: they had so so embraced truth, and they come to know truth in that relationship with Jesus Christ that they were as much an ocean of mercy and forgiveness as they were an ocean of truth. They had experienced wow. forgiveness. They'd experienced the mercy of God. And they realized that actually Jesus is the truth and they were being called towards him who is the truth. But by permitting their hearts to enter in relationship with his heart, they also experienced his mercy and his forgiveness. So they were in no way were trying to redefine the truth to make it comfortable for themselves or trying to turn around in any way whatsoever and say that the word of God should fit into their lives. They said, no, we must prostrate ourselves before that which is true. However, we must also provide what well, God provides for us and we must provide for others that pathway, that ocean of mercy and forgiveness for people to be able to have their own revelation of who God is. So mm. during the months that my boyfriend and I attended this, this young uh, adults kind of um, Christian gathering, nobody at any point turned around and challenged us or questioned us. And they knew that we were a gay couple. We weren't just a gay couple. We became the archetypal gay couple on the, in the London community. We just were, because you didn't get many people who were raving about Jesus Christ at this stage, you know. Um, but myself and my ex called Steve, that we, we were doing that. So it was from in that perspective, in that welcome of people whose, in a sense, their inner world was incredibly orthodox, but they were willing to express that profound and deep ocean of mercy. And I, and, I mean, I remember talking to some of them some years later and said, was that not difficult for you? And some of them said, look, you know, you weren't the easiest couple to have in the room. But then there's other people, too, that weren't easy to have in the room. Whenever somebody's slightly different to you, it's a challenge. They said, but we knew that we were just called to be able to love you. And we knew that if somebody was going to do the work, it needed to be God doing the work in you. And we wanted to be able to facilitate the work that God did. Now, going on from that wow. spiritual thing, it was them that then encouraged me that because I had so few boundaries, and literally, I, they helped me to understand that I lived out of a victim mentality, that I saw everybody around me as the oppressor whether it be the politicians, whether it be uh, even the authorities at university, whether it be my fellow students. You know, I lived out of this victim mentality. And they said, this is not healthy and it doesn't serve you well. And so what happened is I was encouraged. I certainly wasn't forced. I've never been forced to do anything. I was encouraged to consider going down a therapeutic journey. And I found myself um, a really wonderful, um, prayerful therapist and, and he, he, was, he was this older, loving, fatherly figure that would look me deeply in the eyes. And, and I mean, literally, as he looked at me, I felt his delight, his delight in me for who I was. And I can be honest with you, David, I, I hadn't experienced that a lot in my life at all. In fact, that's what I was partly looking for. It was much more a deep inner issue that I had than some form of external issue. The long and short of it is this is on our therapeutic journey, he helped me to come to terms with a lot of things that I just hadn't wanted to look at. I hadn't been in the right setting to look at them. 
And they were issues around the very, very beginning, the very genesis of my life is the fact that I'd been conceived outside of marriage, that I had been born two months premature with a twin sister, that mm. I'd been literally abandoned at birth. So for the first six months of my life, there was no permanent parenting. I was incubated, I was fostered, I was placed into an orphanage for a time before mm. eventually being adopted. Now, I was adopted into a really beautiful, solid Christian family, and everything on, on the outside then looked fine. And I was surrounded by, by a very consistent and very real love of my parents and my older siblings as well. And I had my twin sister with me. But some of that deeper inner wounding that happened early in my life was still there. And I'd never wanted to face it. And part of my victimhood came from that, from that early scarring. But there was also a lot of my victimhood had come from hanging around the what was then the LNG community. There was a lesbian and gay centre in London that I would regularly frequent and we'd talk politics and we'd talk, you know, the, uh, the gay agenda, which is a very, very real thing. What that looked like, what it needs to look like, how it would be rolled out, how long it would take to roll out, etc. And I see that now rolled out and rolling out today. But it was just the LNG centre, not the LGBTQQIAAP plus 2S centre or any other letters that they've added in the last 48 hours. And I don't mean that to be in a mocking way. What I'm saying is literally there are letters being added and people have got no idea and they're waving flags and just supporting anything and everything. But there is yep. a deep underlying agenda linked in to what people are waving flags about. And, you know, we've gone from having one day a year Ida Hobbit uh, which it's now called, to having a whole month, to having lesbian visibility day, pansexual visibility day, transgender, mm. whatever it is. And yet we give one day to veterans who lay down their lives to give us the yeah. freedoms of day. Something in our society has gone wildly, wildly wrong. But I'll say this, yeah. that therapeutic journey, that spiritual journey that I was taken on, basically within the period of a few years, my very high-pitched voice dropped. It dropped an octave almost, my walk changed. And what happens, I learned to demystify my own sex. I learned what it was to take my place as a man among other men, because I found resolution within so many of the environmental scarring and wounding that I'd had as a child. That included exposure to pornography at the age of eight, from the age of eight onwards. That included mm. many childhood sexual abuse that I had repressed. Um, and all sorts of other issues that I was having to deal with. So that's one of the core reasons today that the LGBTQ ideologues and protagonists, and I use those two words very deliberately, this isn't your average nephew or niece or somebody who's your work colleague who identifies as lesbian and gay. I'm saying that there are powers that be in the LGBT world that are very, very deliberately trying to ban therapy and to ban prayer because they know perfectly well that what happens is when people get access to that which will help them to be able to process and reconcile themselves with things of the past, is in a sense the true persona begins to rise. Now, my true persona rose. I basically came to a place where I loved being a man and I absolutely love being a man today. And because my same-sex attraction significantly reduced what took place is this, what entered into that void was other sex attraction. So I found myself uh, then dating women to the point where I ended up getting married and I became a father. And today I've got um, a 14 year old teenage daughter and, and I, I love being a dad. I, I love being a bloke. Um, I love working with men. I love affirming men. I love affirming women. 
And so the whole transgender issue we have today, the gender ideology, is unquestionably a very deliberate attack on Genesis 1 to 3 and on the book of Revelation. Now, marriage, in yeah. a sense, really had a knife stuck in it. But ultimately, one of the goals, one of the two key goals, was to absolutely destroy male and female. And to do that, that was about sexualizing children. And that is the other part of the agenda, is that actually anybody will be able to be immoral with anybody they want, including children, taking us back to the time of Wilberforce that you mentioned in some way in your introduction. But not like Wilberforce, because we do have an education today. We're educated like never before. So this would be debauchery on the most widespread level that you could even possibly imagine. Yeah. You mentioned you were exposed to pornography at a very young age. Was that gay porn or straight porn or, or both? That, that was that was straight porn. I, mean, I, I didn't even know. I, at, the age, at the age of eight, when I was young, I didn't know what gay was. But what happened is this, is um, uh, I was exposed to pornography shortly before being sexually abused. And I mentioned that very deliberately because I honestly believe that exposure to pornography is childhood sexual abuse. Because it's so commonplace today and so widespread, we almost don't think twice about it. But its effect on my developing mind and on the innocence of my childhood was something extremely profound and incredibly scarring. And what happened is, is the exposure to that pornography actually set me up to be sexually abused. Because what happened is, because I couldn't process it, it's, it I, the, the pornography, I almost sort of wanted to sort of shut it down and, and because it was all secretive and very, very quiet. And even today, mm. even though porn right, we still don't talk about this stuff. You know, the pandemic, I often say, is much worse than the pandemic could ever have been. Um, it's just the pandemic is constantly with us everywhere, and particularly with our young people. And I'm meeting young people all the time who, you know, I'm meeting 11, 12, 13-year-old girls who said they are hooked to hardcore pornography. And this is because of images they suddenly saw on the computer at the age of six, seven, or eight. And their mm. curiosity, at the moment. So I was shown what really some black and white photographs in, in old Playboy magazines with lots and lots of written stories. But the effect that had on my mind was profound. And therefore, this is why we are seeing so many young people today who not only are addicted to pornography, but they're so deeply sexualized that they think that sex is love. And if you talk to any clinical psychologist working in the area of childhood sexual abuse, and I work with many and know many, and they say that they're not, that, that, sorry, that the greatest rise in those who are sexualizing our children today or being sexually active are not the adults, but teenagers who are looking at copious amounts of pornography and are trying to find a body to try and practice this on. So we are in a very, very fragile state in our society today. This sounds almost extremist. And I really wish I didn't have to talk about it. There's lots of other things I'd like to talk about. But I, I am a realist. And this is the stuff that comes onto the doorstep of, of True Identity, the peer support network um, that I help to facilitate. And, and so this is the pain that is out there. And this is the pain that Jesus went to the cross for. And this is yeah. why church needs to be interested in this. And this is why politicians need to, be, to wake up and be interested in this. Yeah. And Sick and tired of seeing copious amounts of money being thrown towards band-aids that don't really deal with the root causes of where people yeah. are frightened, deeply wounded, you know, mentally un unhealthy and the rest of it. Things need to change. 
James, you've spoken about uh, what's colloquially called conversion therapy, as if there's a deliberate agenda to uh, have a preferred outcome for people as opposed to just healing uh, wounds and traumas and allowing them to be their authentic selves. Um, Two questions about that topic. One is uh, the allegation we see in the lying harlot media and, and from the LGBTIQ activists is that to preach the gospel and the, se- the Christian sexual ethic is to cause mental harm and anguish to people uh, who are feeling same-sex attracted or gender confused. And it then creates depression, uh, stigma, and inevitably we're told we are responsible for the very, very tragic realities of mental health going on in these uh, demographics, um, sometimes resulting in uh, death, uh, death by suicide. Um, is there any credibility or, or what do you think of, of that discussion? Should Christians uh, change the way we speak about these topics? Um, uh, and apologies for the broad generalisation I used there as if all Christians speak the same way. Um, look, uh, the, the, in some ways, there are many, many um, responses of Christianity towards sexual mores today. One of those is, oh, well, God's made you that way. It's all fine. As In other words, let's keep it easy and simple and just do what you want to do. Um, if only it was as simple as that. I don't see a gospel where Jesus says, oh, you're fine. Just just get on with life. And let's just, you know, put a little bit of a blessing over whatever's happening. I hope it'll all be fine. That mm-hmm. is not the gospel I read. That another bit of the gospel is the fact that, um, uh, oh, well, you know, as long as you're not harming anybody and you're not stick- ramming something into people's faces, just have your private life and keep going with God. That'll be OK. Then there's another side, in a sense, a third step up, if you like. And that one turns around and says, well, you know, you are who you are, but you should listen to the word of God and take it seriously. But you just are who you are where you are. Well, you know, I don't know anybody that was met by Jesus in the Gospels who Jesus either didn't challenge or his power and his ministry did not in some way affect some form of change and transformation. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And that becomes our final step. And that was the place that I was ultimately led to because I was a gay Christian that was telling everybody, I'm born this way, God made me this way, this is the way I am. I've lived that life fully and I preached it fully. And that's wow. why I'm passionate today about that stage four, because people loved me enough to walk me from that. It's all fine to be able to walk me along to the place of actually saying God has, God always has more, infinitely more than you can ever ask of him or imagine. He has more for you as a man. He has more for you, um, uh, you know, in the midst of your relationships, both with him as God, but also within human relationships. And I can say this to you today, David, I have the depth of intimate heart-to-heart non-sexualized friendships with men today that would have scared me stupid as a gay man i just wouldn't have been able to cope with them but today i have a rich river of these friendships i you know and this the ability to be able to enjoy the radiance and and the dignity of woman in a way i could never have done when i was a misogynistic gay male and i was i was misogynistic the essence of, of of being gay is often misogyny Often, not always. But going back to that thing of conversion, no, I agree. 
it's, I said this on Mother's Day this year, homosexuality or sexual confusion, that, that whole thing was a, a part of deeply misogynistic social innovations that happened in the 50s and 60s. Um, the pill, uh, promiscuity, uh, abortion, uh, divorce on demand with no fault, uh, government-funded childcare, but homosexuality, again, how, how can it not be deeply misogynistic, anti-woman? It's, it's just the and, nature and of the culture war and all things which flow from critical theory. That's right. And this is why, this is why we are seeing, uh, I mean, the issue in, in the transgenderism, whatever that really is, today is not about, you know, making sure that trans males can play in male rugby teams. This is about XY chromosomed bodies turning around and once again crushing the world of women. So it is profoundly misogynistic. It's not the other way around. It's, it's you know, for the most part, lesbians often keep their mouths shut and, uh, and they go quietly to try and establish a nest or a home for themselves. It is, yep. it is this, um, uh, it, it's this, it is this victim mentality that is broadcast far and wide, um, f particularly from the the male section of, of the gay community. But but going back to your your point about conversion therapy, is this is um, first of all um, what's happening is the conversions that are happening around us today is through gender ideology that is taking place in our schools under the heading of safe schools here in Australia um, and also uh, trying to prepare children for safe schools. And that's through Drag Queen Story Hour in our libraries and in so many of the books that uh, you can take out of the library today. Many uh, children's books today contain aspects that are deeply, deeply anti-Christian and uh, proclaim the Christian as the oppressor and that they stop children from being able to live the fullness of the lives they want to live, which is putting alongside children the possibility they can live and do whatever they want to do. Well, that is already a recipe for setting up kids for serious mental disorders later in life. And let me say this to you, you know, I, I, I don't only deal with people leaving the gay community. I still have many, many friends in the LGBT community, many of whom who have serious, serious mental health issues. And they often say to me, how, do, how, did, you, how did you get out of your stuff? And I say, I got help. And I got yes. the right type of help. And I got a right caring help. And that help looks like this. It's really simple. There is such a thing as truth that I had to embrace. I had to have a vision for what my body and my biology was screaming. Mm. I also had to have mercy and forgiveness on the other side. So it took the church and the state, both of them working hand in hand to be able to help me with that. It took the medical authorities, whether it be psychiatry, psychology, uh, whether it took pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies and all the rest of it. Um, it took everybody coming hand in hand together to say, what is the human person? And what mm. is the capacity for this person to, be, uh, to become greater, uh, you know, having been made in the image and likeness of God? And so what happened is I threw out all the political agendas. I threw out all the gay activism. And I went back ultimately to the word of God, which has stood the test of time. As I think I said earlier, I surrendered myself to that word. And God is very, very clear in that word. He, he's saying, look, he said, if you go down a pathway of man turning around and thinking he'll find himself in other man, and particularly in a sexual relationship, or woman with a woman, then what happens is that is an abomination in his sight, not because he doesn't love us, but because he says that is literally cutting yourself off from the capacity to become all that I made you to be. Yeah. And I want live life to the full so rather than the church being killjoys which in some way we've 
aspects of the church have become, we have failed to proclaim and to preach the message of complete joy, which is John 15. She said, I came that your joy would be complete. John 10, 10. You know, I don't want you to be, you know, destroyed and stolen from and killed. I want you to have life in the full. That's yes. what I want you to have. So yes. I hear a I heard a kill joy message. The church was trying to kill my joy. And the politicians were just fighting and, and raising the flag like, you know, um, Justin Trudeau and everything will be LGBTQIP plus 2S, you know, the rest of it. Well, that that is an empty, dead avenue at the end. And that's why we're seeing such struggles of mental health in our young people. It's not because of ice baths and people being knocked over the head with Bibles and things. Now, admittedly, some of that rubbish happened maybe 40, 50 years ago. It's not happening today. Correct. And what's because the LGBTQ ideologues have had an agenda literally to reverse society and to take over and to have homo superiority rather than hetero superiority, then what's happening is they literally have to indoctrinate everybody, everybody with the same political or ideological message. And that's what we're seeing rolled out today. And mm. so we're, the Christians are being seen to be nasty for actually offering people the life boy. We've got kids swimming about in this ocean of just sexual confusion like crazy. The church throws a life boy out to them and the church is told, they're told, don't touch that. It's a landmine. It'll kill you. No, it's not. What is killing young people today more than ever? Killing their spirits, killing their ability to have good relationships and friendships, killing their ability to be of sound mind and heart is the fact that they're being denied the opportunity. And it's happening now through legislation across Australia and across the world, particularly the Western world. They're being denied the opportunity to access that which will help them to understand who they are and what it means to love and to live in the beauty and the harmony of good, loving relationships on a human level, and if they're open to it, also on a level with their creator. The LGBT community, for the most part, are still saying that somehow everything that's created, everything that's unredeemed is absolutely fine. And things that are unredeemed are not fine. That makes a mm. mockery of God, it makes a mockery of Christ, it makes a mockery of the church. Regrettably, we are seeing aspects of the church that are now turning around and they're they're you know they're in apostasy they're turning around and they're also beginning to reject the essence of the gospel what message would you have uh for the church what's the what's the takeaway for born again christians who place the authority of scripture as as the highest authority in their life um, and people who are interested in the facts evidence data and and logic uh, about people who experience same-sex attraction or gender confusion. What's the message for the church? Become a student of some of the crazy stuff that's going around. You know, it is madness that our churches are not talking about the issue of pornography addiction and being able to call out uh, all sorts of different um, sexual, immoral sexual immorality that's happening around us today. And it's not just calling it out, but it's actually being able to apply the cross of Christ to that sexual immorality. And yeah. to recognize, you know, we are a people who need to be called to repentance. We need to be. We go astray all the time. It says in Isaiah, you know, each one of you has gone astray like a lost sheep, following the devices and the desires of their own heart. But Jesus has laid upon himself the iniquity, the weakness, the brokenness, the, the getting it wrong of all of us. It's all yeah. upon him. 
cross. And therefore, we need to learn afresh what it is to apply the cross of Jesus Christ and what he says yes. to us in the word, to apply it to ourselves afresh. Only then yeah. would we have a real message of hope. I want you to explain for the audience, those people who may be cynical and hostile, as well as those people who may be questioning and, and sincerely looking for hope and for answers to the confusion that they're feeling in their lives. The question is, how does the gospel transform lives? How does the gospel transform lives? Well, first of all, um, it, what happens is this, is ultimately we are created fr through relationship. Even the fact that man and woman has come together in what an act that we used to call making love. And the byproduct of that man and woman coming together was a new human life in God's image and likeness. And if God is love, then the new life is love. So they're making a new being called love. The challenge is, has, has, be, has become this in, in, in many ways, is, is that um, we have lost sight of our own dignity before God himself. And in some way, what's happening is people are starting to identify themselves according to their, what I call, depravity rather than their dignity, or according towards their debauched behaviour. The way in which the gospel heals us is it calls us back in a surrendered relationship. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are in a constant, perfect relationship, one with the other. So we are called back to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And when we call upon his name, he says, I am the way to the truth that you are looking for, the truth. And in finding that truth, and knowing me is the truth, you will find the life that you are looking for. I will be the light in your darkness, the light of your world, the light in your world. I am the gate that you need to walk through to go mm -hmm. back to the Garden of Eden. Leave behind everything, you know, that's there. Come back to the original design. Come back to the purpose for which you were created, which was to have this intense loving relationship with your God. So how does the gospel change lives? First of all, we need spaces and places where people are surrendering their lives to God. We don't need, um, and, and hear me right in this, there's nothing wrong with beautiful worship and, and a lovely church setting and all these different things, but we need spaces and places where people can admit that they aren't perfect, that they are broken, and that it could be a pretty long journey ahead of them for them to learn to what, what it is to start to become what we call whole again. Now we're aware that our, our life, you know, our whole life journey is one of pursuing Christ, those of us who are Christians, and that there is always more with him because he's infinite. But how does the gospel itself affect this? We need to be able to come to a place of understanding that repentance is part and parcel of our daily life, that we will turn quickly and look towards another creature or towards something created to try and satisfy us or give us purpose or identity. And yet the only one that can give us a real true identity is God himself. Mm. Jesus didn't need affirming, but we heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Most of the work I do, the facilitation work in the peer support network, true identity that, that I help to, to run, a lot of it is around helping people come back to their true identity. Who, who are they created to be? What is their basic purpose? So 
irrespective of whether they experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or, or whatever their struggle is, when we bring them back to that truest identity, it's like everything else has no choice but just to fall off them. And they come back to living what it means to be an authentic life. But they have to better turn around and say, for example, Lord, because I experience same-sex attraction and that everything about the gay world was, was who I am and it's not. Yes, I experienced mm -hmm. same-sex attraction, but my identity can only be in you. Yeah. And then it's about walk, help, walking alongside others who are also trying to, you know, um, to walk that authentic Christian journey of finding our, our, our identity in Christ, of recognizing the fact, too, that Jesus has walked ahead of us. He's gone ahead of us in all the areas of our weakness and brokenness. He has taken all everything to the cross and resurrected it. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't get access to the power of the resurrection. You know, and if you don't believe that you are broken or you have weaknesses or you have failings or, you know, um, iniquities, mm. which is the word for that, then, then you're not going to bring that to Jesus for him to, you know, to be able to show you that they were crucified with him on the cross and that they've yeah. been resurrected in the resurrection and that God sends his Holy Spirit to give us, you know, that um, the power to be able to transform our lives. That wherever there's mm. all chaos, the Holy Spirit brings order. That's the first book of Genesis. And that's yes. why we're in a sense, different ideological groups and cultural Marxism and, and a rise in communism that's trying to turn around and not just extinguish God, but to extinguish his word. And Genesis yes. 1 to 3 is really, really, really important. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the void. He brings order out of the chaos. Well. He hovers over the void of our lives to bring order out of chaos. That's still happening to me, but I'm in a place where I believe my life is more ordered than I could ever have imagined or ever have yeah. asked years ago. And I am only one of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across the world who have a similar experience. And I might just point out this, David, is that, you know, I've had the opportunity and the real honour to talk to many different communities and gatherings and settings across Australia and across the world. And so often at the end, you know, you might get, I might get, you know, a dad come up to me, you know, holding a little kid, you know, or uh, um, a mum who's kind of just stepped away from most of her family and her teenage kids and her husband. And they come up to me and they say, thank you for sharing your story. That's my story. I just don't go public with it because I've got to get on my life and I'm having to respect the, my, my children as well. I mm. believe or to speak publicly about this, but I, what I just want to say is this, and particularly to politicians, if you turn around and you bring about these laws that shut down any form of um, proven therapeutic help for people struggling in sexuality and gender, if you shut down the therapy and the opportunity for the churches to work alongside people, then what happens is there is blood on your hands. Because for most people struggling in their sexuality, there are deep underlying issues of childhood sexual abuse. So whether it's people with sexuality issues or not, you're also shutting down the possibility of people who've been raped, who've been violated, to have the opportunity to go ahead and to find the therapy that they need. These yeah. laws are often broad brush laws that don't just affect the LGBTQ community. They're affecting some of the most vulnerable people in our society. And the fact yeah. is, many politicians are dealing with lots and lots of legal stuff, and they're hearing one voice in their ears, 
just the protagonists and just the ideologues from the LGBT community saying how terrible and awful and wicked and horrendous it's been. You know, well, sometimes some people don't do well in therapy. They might even get a bit hurt. They don't make a therapeutic bond or a sufficient bond with a therapist. Many of us have experienced that. Um, and sometimes they're in the wrong therapeutic situation. But that doesn't mean to say that you shut down the entire opportunity for people to seek out and have their own, their own choice to seek out what they wish to seek out in their own way to find help yes. and improvement to help other people. But this is what yes. shows there is unquestionably another underlying agenda going on. But most people don't Absolutely. see it. It, it really is barbaric, draconian legislation. Without a question of doubt. I mean, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can murder someone and you don't get put into prison or jail for 10 years and get fined $200,000 or a million dollars, as you can, yep. as is now put into, into the state of yeah. Victoria. And if you in any way turn around and even insinuate that people could change their sexual attraction, we're seeing that changed all the time. I'm seeing it changing in people in the LGBT community. And I'm not even talking from, from, from gay to straight. I'm talking about the fact that you've got some gay men who now would rather go out with what they call a trans male. And they're actually starting to begin to enjoy aspects of a woman's body. Now, I'm not going to go into detail there, not in, certainly on this interview. What I'm saying is, is people change. They just do. So to turn around and say people don't change is a bigger lie, which then leads to mm. more mental health issues. And then we can blame yeah. it on the... What happens is society will always look for a scapegoat. It'll always look for something or someone to go and push all their issues onto and say it's all their fault that we've got these issues. If we get rid of that person or those people or, or we get rid of that institution or that organisation, all will be well. I mean, we yeah. are unquestionably seeing a rise in people trying to get um, paedophilia accepted in our ranks. Even the fact we take away that word paedophile and we have a minor attraction. Now, let, let's talk about uh, the rise in child sexual abuse in the next segment. We've unfortunately run out of time in, in this episode. That's fine. Absolutely fine. So um, that is, uh, of course, a brilliant segue to let you know that there is a next segment on my website, davepello.com. Uh, and um, just to wrap it up there, uh, you will be able to see and hear more of James Parker on that website uh, to watch the, the end of this show or the second segment. Um, but you'll also be able to see and meet him, ask him questions and make contact personally at the Church and State Perth Conference, which is coming up on the 4th and 5th of August. Make sure you head to the website, churchandstate.com.au to get your tickets to that special event. We'll be bringing uh, lots of speakers over from the East Coast. Uh, there'll be lovely catering on the Saturday and uh, I look forward to meeting many hundreds of people there where we are going to proclaim the loving and life-restoring, freedom-promoting gospel of Jesus Christ as well as arming Christians to better influence uh, our culture. We look forward to seeing you there as well as in the next episode, next segment on um, with James Parker, where we're going to be talking about the rising incidence in child sexual abuse. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about what we as parents can do. I'm going to ask James, if, if I have a child 
if a listener watching, view, listening or watcher, view, viewer watching, uh, has a child who is perhaps struggling with uh, feelings of same-sex attraction or gender confusion, how does a loving, God-fearing parent um, bring that child up in the fear and admonition of the Lord without doing harm, without being unkind or insensitive? And for every parent, how do we guard against uh, and how do we protect our children uh, against this uh, toxic world that we are now raising children in? So don't miss that second segment on davepello.com. But James Parker, for those who uh, won't be watching that, um, thank you very much for joining us on the Church and State Show today. Thank you very much for having me on here today, David. Thank you. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.